to uh, keep up with your Bible reading plan if you're doing it. Um, there's been several of you comment about how it's really blessing your life. Some mentioned it last Wednesday, how God is uh, enriching their faith, and there's word about being a better parent, it gives you joy, it gives you understanding, grace, and I don't know how it, how it does it. I don't know how reading even, reading even through passages in the Bible that you, don't, that you don't understand, how it feeds your soul, and you get done with it throughout the day, you, uh, your soul is happy. Um, one of our members said that it's become a part of our life, um, just like brushing teeth or getting a cup of coffee, and that's wonderful, amen, that certainly is wonderful. Another member this morning told me that uh, she's uh, even uh, craves more of it, and that's what happens, you, you ever notice more Bible, it begats more Bible, less Bible reading becomes less Bible reading to the point almost of stopping. But I just want to encourage you again, keep going, keep going. Uh, you can read it through in a year. If it takes you a year and two weeks, and praise the Lord, amen, you read your Bible. <laughs> if you do it in, uh, I don't want to say too much farther out, some of the devil will use that. The, the pastor said you can go 16 months. But uh, it's not about that, though. It's about, it's about reading the Bible, amen. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Young people, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Mark chapter 4. I was thinking today, uh, I mentioned this morning that we want our young people to be a part of the service. We want them to start praying and start singing and start listening. I remember the age, I don't remember how old it was, but I remember all of a sudden my mother, something changed and she them, uh, started snapping them fingers at me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was uh, too big, she'd say, to act that way. And back then, looking back, I remember thinking, well, that's rather mean. <laughs> but you know, you've got to grow up, don't you? You've got to grow up. Even Jesus says he grew in stature and in wisdom. He's growing up. He's growing up. You know, you get older, you start putting away childish things. Because you, you can't live life as a child. And you sure can't live life in this life with childlike faith. You have to grow in faith. Yes, childlike faith will get you into the kingdom, but we need to grow. We need to become fathers and mothers of the faith. We need to have faith that will increase, and, and it'll, it'll, uh, God can use it to influence other people's lives. So uh, I remember those days, and I'm thankful for them now. I remember uh, we were talking, we were having our meeting with the, the elders, the deacons, and about, we was reminiscing about old Ed Kaler, and... Me, Sean, and Jason, and we were ushers. That's how, believe it or not, we really started playing a role here at the church. And well, I didn't know it at the time. I just thought, you know, that's, you know, I really thought, I think, well, that's something they want the kids to do, the young people to do. And so uh, I started ushering, and thank God, Ed Kaler, he really had an influence on us. And we could say that honestly. I mean, can't we? We really can say that he really made a difference in our lives. You might not think it, but... It really did. It changed the way I, I didn't even know it at the time. And that's the way childlike lessons are learned. They don't know it when it's happening, but it affects their life. And some people think, well, they're just young. They don't know. It don't matter if they don't know. They're going to learn. But those little things affect young people. I remember he'd tell us, oh, boys, when you get up there, he said, don't be running. I remember that. He was so nice about it, though. He said, don't be running and... 
you get up there, I remember him specifically telling me to you fold your hands and you bow your head and somebody's going to pray. And for years I was worried they was going to ask me to pray. And, and what was Ed Kaler doing to us, though? He was teaching, he was making little men out of us, what he's doing for one. And young boys, they got to be taught how to become men. Wives need men. Amen? Amen? It, without strong men, women and children suffer. Without strong men, churches suffer. I'm thankful that the meekness of Ed Kaler, I didn't know it at the time, was making a little man out of me. You know, that you, there's a time and a place, but then there's a time and a place too for, for reverence and, and uh, respect. And I, I remember those lessons, and Hayden, they had a big impact on me. And I hope and pray this church can do the same for you. Amen. And that, we want our young people to grow in the Lord. Amen. We really do. So with that being said, young people, Mark chapter 4, let's begin at uh, verse number 30. Mark chapter number 4 and verse number 30. You know, it come, when it comes from somebody like Ed Kaler, from a loving heart, even children understand, he, he's not being mean. He wasn't being mean to us at all. I never thought that. He was teaching us with a meek and humble spirit. Thank God for that. Amen. Mark chapter... I've, let me mention something else about it. I, I think about Brother Wiley. He was growing up, and I noticed it with the children now. He was never mean to children, ever. He was never, he's, he's still not very kind, very gentle, very, uh, listens, and wants to talk to them. I praise God for that, don't you? I want to be like that. All right, Mark chapter number 4, verse number 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Now, I'm so glad that Jesus taught this lesson and the lessons from last, last Sunday night because he's trying to show us what the kingdom of God looks like so we can, when, when, when we see it, we can know what it is. And we also can know what it's not. So Jesus is, in a, in a sense, he's saying, this is what it looks like. And so when we see it, we can recognize it as the kingdom of God. And also when we don't see it. You ever see something that looks churchy or religious or Christian, but something in your spirit, you say, this, this, isn't, this isn't jiving with Scripture. And so Scripture, again, is the final authority of what Christianity is. It's the final authority of human, of, 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 of human life and human existence and eternal prophecy. So Jesus is saying that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So we can recognize it. We can see it. And without this, we would not know. And without this, people will be making up their own definitions of it. I'm glad that the Lord of the church is the one who describes what the church is. That the author of the Bible is describing to us what salvation looks like. And so when he says in verse 30, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Verse 31, here's what it's like. Verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And, when many, and with many such parables spake he word unto them, as they, as they were able to hear it. 
Though without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone he expounded all things to his disciples. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this Lord's Day that you've given us to worship you, to praise you, to pray to you, to gather as a church. And Lord, as we close out this day, this evening, I pray, God, that once more you will bless us with a gift of your eternal word. And by your word, Lord, we'll be helped greatly. Open our eyes to see the truth. Open our minds to receive it. And Lord, I pray that we'll leave here different than with Cain. And Lord, we'll listen with faith. With, we'll listen carefully. God, that we'll apply this word to our heart. And we won't resist it. We won't reject it. But we'll just simply let your Bible speak to our lives as the authority that it is. Have us to receive this authority and not resist against it. We love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen. Now it's believed that the expression, like a grain of mustard seed, was an, was, was an expression or a saying that was used a lot during the Bible times which Jesus lived. We see it again, I think it's in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus says, if you'll have faith like unto a grain of a mustard seed, there will be nothing that's not impossible for you. So we see this expression twice, Jesus uses it. A lot of times Jesus will use something that is relevant to them. And so he does it in this case too. Like we have expressions like, you might have heard things like growing up, uh, you wasn't knee high to a grasshopper. You know, it's expressing something small. And Jesus here is expressing that idea. So they know what he's talking about. See, we know it as a Bible saying, but they knew it as a cultural saying. So when Jesus spoke, he's speaking the language of a common man. He's using the language of the everyday talk. And so Jesus is speaking about something that they know. He's trying to relate the gospel truth to their lives. And that's why Jesus is, is talking this way. And so when he says that like a grain of mustard seed, their ears perk and they have a point of reference. So they know what he's talking about and what he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to. And so when Jesus says... The kingdom of God is like this. It's like a grain of mustard seed. They know that to be very small. If you've ever seen a grain of mustard seed, I remember here at the church years ago, somebody was passing them out, and for a long time I kept one in my wallet before I got my wallet stolen, and I hope somebody used that grain of mustard seed. I remember it was in between two pieces of scotch tape. It was so little, and sometimes it was in high school, I remember getting it out, and I would look at it, I was thinking, if I had faith like this, I could move mountains. If I had faith like this, nothing would be impossible for me. If you've never seen one, they're hard to see. A mustard seed's very small, extremely small. You could lose one in your hand, it's so little. And so when he says that, they know he's talking about something that appears to be very small, but they also understand what it becomes. So when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which it's sown in the earth, which that'll become relevant in a moment, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth, smaller than all the other ones. And Jesus says, when it is sown, though, it groweth up, and it becometh greater than all the other herbs. So the small seed grows up and becomes great, doesn't it? It becomes huge and noticeable. You, you, would, you could use it as a landmark. You could say, you know, back there by the mustard tree, that everyone would know, but it starts out so small, it seems insignificant, but the end of it is humongous. 
And I think about that, that Old Testament saying that we ought not to despise the day of small things. And what God, don't ever think that God's not working. And don't ever think that there's a Sunday morning or a Sunday night that goes by where God doesn't do something in somebody's hearts. For one, we know this, that the Bible said that His Word, it will not return unto Him void. It will not come back again void. So something small might be small today, but it might be huge later on. What God's doing in your life right now, it might seem like not that big of a deal, but ten years from now it could be huge. And Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God is like. At first it seems almost unnoticeable. This is what it's like, Jesus said. It appears insignificant. But when it grows, it grows bigger than all those around it. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The gospel age started with humble beginnings. The gospel age is the Bible times, you could think. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. She's the smallest of all towns. Jesus grew up in a normal, small, low-class town called Nazareth. Jesus was conceived in a lowly handmaid and insignificant during that time. Jesus' profession was that of a lowly carpenter. Jesus was even baptized in a muddy river Jordan. Jesus was preached to by John the Baptist who wasn't clothed in king's apparel. Jesus began his life unnoticed. The wise men couldn't even hardly find him. Herod didn't even know he existed the angels appeared to shepherds, not to kings or princes or queens. Caesar Augustus sure didn't know who he was. He thought he was doing something on his own whim, that all the world should be taxed. He had no idea that God was moving Joseph and Mary down into Bethlehem where Scripture's going to be fulfilled. And all this stuff was happening, and nobody was none the wiser. Jesus Christ himself, his ministry publicly, it began with, with meager, meager beginnings. He didn't grow huge crowds at first. He seemed insignificant even when he became significant. Even his deniers and skeptics and an enemy said, Is not this a carpenter's son? Are not his brothers and sisters here with us to this day? Even the gospel age appeared to be not much of an age at all until Christ and his ministry began to flourish and to grow. And this little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes then called dead men out of tombs. The man who, who once as a kid walked around barefooted in a port town called Nazareth is walking on the Sea of Galilee. And that, by the way, is an insignificant low-class region. And even they said, has anything good ever come out of Galilee? Jesus himself seemed small at the beginning. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It is a pattern. It starts out small and it ends up huge and influential. Even the, the gospel church age was like that. What, what great preacher did Jesus leave, leave, leave behind? What great orator did stand and draw the masses? It was just 11 men. They were afraid and fearful until the Holy Spirit entered into their heart. They were unlearned and ignorant men according to their skeptics of their age. They were fishermen and tax collectors hated. They were despised. They were rejected. They would become the scourge of all things. They didn't come from a school of theology they didn't come from a university. 
They were fishermen and, and tax collectors and political zealots. They were just living their life. And here come Jesus when nobody hardly knew he was. And he said, come and follow me. And look at the gospel age. It started out small. And then what happened? It became so powerful and mighty that it destroyed the traditions of the Jews. It became so big after it was sown into the ground, it sprung up into the earth. It was sown into the earth. It came out of the earth. And what happened? It was the single most influential movement that brought down the political Roman Empire. And it seemed so small, and here we are today. It grew so much, and its branches got so big, and they got so wide that it reached all the way to East Tennessee. And now we have a church called the West Side Baptist Church, and we are a part of that gospel church age that started out small, and we're a part of it. Isn't that interesting to you? That God, the kingdom of God, starts out small. And then it grows and it grows and it grows and its branches will spread all the way to every nation, every tribe, and every kingdom before the Gentile age is done. You might think, is that true? Yes, absolutely. When the age of the Gentiles is finished, even then the Lord Jesus Christ will come. When every tribe and every language and every nation will hear the gospel, its, its branches are going to spread and spread, but it started out so small, didn't it? Jesus said this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's not only that way in Jesus' the gospel beginnings or the gospel church age, but it's also that way in the individual believer. The same thing goes on when someone receives Jesus into their heart. It starts out small. It starts out, we would say, unnoticeable, isn't it? If I could use it again, it was a very exciting moment in my life. I'm pray, I praise God for it. Avery was born again in the driveway of my house. Nathan, too, was born again in the driveway of my house. I think it was Lisa who told me we should make sure we take the driveway with us whenever we move. It's a sacred, holy driveway. It's holy ground. I never knew that God could make asphalt that good. See, small things. But we don't know yet what God's going to do in Avery's heart. It might seem unnoticeable to us. It might seem insignificant. We might not ever think about it again. But if the gospel seed is planted there, it'll grow, won't it? It'll grow, as Jesus said. It'll grow up and it'll become greater than all herbs. But if the seed is in there, you watch what God will do. This is the way the kingdom of God works. When you got born again, people might have been excited, but I'm telling you, the first quarter of the Super Bowl, they quit thinking about you. But God hasn't. God's not finished. God's just begun, hadn't he? I told Avery that this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the entrance. You just walked into the door. This is the starting line. This is where it all begins, isn't it? This is where it begins. And once the mustard seed is in the earth, in the heart, in the soul, you watch, it will grow. It will grow. It will grow and it will outgrow all others. That little day that you got born again, you remember that day? You remember the hour? 
You remember the song maybe or the message? Some of you might not, but you can see the effects thereof. You remember it seemed insignificant, but look what God has done in your life. Some of you, some of you all, you chose a mate off of what God did in your heart that day. Some of you all, you changed directions. You chose a different path. You stopped doing certain things. You lost interest in certain music. You started, your heart started being, being changed all because of this small mustard seed and it began to grow and to grow and grow and God used it mightily. It started out small, but it ends up huge, don't it? Huge. Look at verse number 32. When it is sown, it groweth up. It becomes greater than all herbs. It becomes greater than everything we could say. That Jesus in the heart becomes greater than everything. Jesus says it becomes greater than all the herbs. That means the seed started out small, and it, started, it was smaller than all the other seeds. All the other seeds were more noticeable than... Mustard seed, But when the mustard seed was finished and it grew, it became greater than all the herbs. And that is the way it is when Jesus enters into the heart. Cars in people's driveways seem more important than Jesus in the heart. But when Jesus is done in the heart, he will become more important to that person than cars in the driveway. He becomes greater than all things. It's the greatest evidence of the new birth in your life. That Jesus started out small to you, small enough to believe upon, but he grows and he grows and he grows and he grows and the gospel becomes to the Christian more important than anything else in their life. Greater than all others. Jesus becomes more important than anything. Christ becomes greater than everything. Is this true for your life? I pray that it is. I think many of us are deceived. I think some of us are mistaken. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God is like. He doesn't say this is what it could be. He says if we see this, then we could say that is the kingdom of God. If if Christ to you is not as important as other things, then what is the evidence in your life that he has grown and become greater than all things? Now, I know we could say, well, there must be some measure of time. Absolutely, I understand that. Because we could look at a young convert's life and we could say, well, they've not grown yet. But wouldn't we all agree if Christ is in them and Christ liveth and he's began a good work in them and the sanctification of his spirit and he sanctifies them and grows them, then surely after some measure of time, there would be something come out of the heart. There'd be some shoot come out of the ground, there'd be some green leaf begin to expose, there'd be some branches beginning to take shape, there'd be some height on the tree, there'd be some shade it began to cast. If it's not that way and it's been some length of time, then we must ask ourselves, is there been so much time that we begin to doubt that there is no seed in the heart? Because this, Jesus said, is what the kingdom of God is like. If Christ can walk along the dusty roads of Galilee and over time become greater and grow so much so that he has to stand on a boat 
For the crowd's pressing on him. And he grows and he grows and he grows so much so that the Jewish leaders began fearful of him. And he grows and he grows and he grows till he becomes a threat to the political system of Judea. And he grows and he grows and he grows and he ultimately ends up in Herod's court and stands before Pilate. This is the kingdom of God on earth. And if the church, though meager in its beginnings, once it's in the ground, it grows and it grows, and these unlearned and ignorant men begin through the power of Christ, the acts of the apostles, the Christ who ascended up to heaven is living out of these men's lives, and the acts of the apostles are so influential that the man who stoned, who, who, was, who was complicit in the stoning of Stephen named Saul, who himself became a Christian, and the one who once condemned and persecuted the faith now preaches the faith, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and Lydia's saved, or Cornwallis is saved, and, and it grows, and it goes to Ephesus, and to Corinth, and Thessalonica, and to Rome, and Macedonia crieth, come help us. And many and mighty works were done by the apostles, so much so that James was beheaded, that Peter was in prison, that Paul was led out of Damascus in a basket, that he was persecuted at Jerusalem, and he was ultimately martyred for his faith. And it grows, 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 you see? This is the kingdom of God, Jesus said. This is what it's like. So when you see this, you could say, that's the kingdom of God. The whole world seemed against it, and yet it grows. The whole political system seems contrary to it, and yet it grows. And they're threatened and yet it grows, and they're martyred, and yet it grows, and they crucified Jesus, and yet it grows, and all these things are against it, and it grows, and it becomes so great that it is no longer insignificant, no longer unnoticed, no longer without influence, I think some folks are deceived what the kingdom of God looks like. Now what about you? It's the greatest evidence that you know him. Started out small. I really am anymore. I, you believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. 20 years almost in preaching. I'm like, a, I think it was Steve Hutchison. He came one day and preached. Was that his name? He was the pastor of, a, he's in glory now. He's, he was the pastor of Freedom Baptist Church. And I remember he said, I've only been privileged, I'm not like some of these men, I've only been privileged to lead a handful of people to Jesus. And that's me, I suppose. I've only been privileged to lead a handful of people to Jesus. But my experience, the ones who start out like they've been shot out of a cannon seem to fizzle out quickly. Ain't that your experience? But the ones who say, according to their testimony, I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
I once was blind, but now I see. They're almost so taken back by the awesomeness of it all, it produces in them a certain spirit of humility, don't it? They can't boast, they can't brag, they just say it is God who showeth mercy. They're almost trying, it's almost such, such an experience coming to Christ that they don't yet know what to make of it. They're okay not being the expert. It's a whole new world. They're like newborn babes. They can't explain all their experiences. They can't talk. They can't walk. They have to have people caring for them. And it seems to my experience that true converts start out small. Small. And then they come, and they come back, and their language changes, and their life begins to change, and their direction changes. All of a sudden, they're... They don't even know it yet. They're living out biblical teachings because the Holy Spirit is in them and they don't need any man necessarily to teach them. It doesn't mean they don't need Bible. It doesn't mean they don't need Sunday school. But they are now in them is Christ and He is leading them and shepherding them and guiding them because Christ, that same Spirit who rose Christ from the dead, it liveth in them. And if it really lives in them, and Christ, will, He is their shepherd, He is their guide. They hear His voice, a stranger they'll not follow, and they'll almost to them unconsciously follow the Lord Jesus Christ because that is their nature to do it. That's who they are now. And what happens to these people? Starts out small, starts out insignificant, starts out unnoticeable, starts out unassuming, Small, nobody can see it, nobody can see what God is doing, and over time, a little shoot grows up and still nobody notices. They're growing like Leland cypresses and nobody notices, and then all of a sudden, five years, five years later, there's somebody goes, wow, God's been work." They'll say this, God's really working in their life now, but what we don't know is that God's been doing it from the beginning. From the very start, God was doing it. I planted some Leland's at my house, and I think about them, about this, and they started out really small. They were really small. I'll be honest with you, Ruth. I thought, I don't know if these will work. You know, you forget about them until you start mowing around them. And I was looking at them today. I thought, wow, them things have grown. I planted them 11 feet apart, and they're almost touching each other. It's just been like five years. If that's true for a Leland Cypress, then what can Christ do in someone's heart? We see it, what Christ did in the gospel age. That little babe became the Lord of all, or is Lord of all. And the church gospel age, we ain't got nothing to worry about. Those 11 men, a few hundred-something followers, an upper room praying, what does Scripture say about them? Are these the men that turn the world upside down? And it's true for the believer. It will grow. When it is sown, verse 32, it groweth up. Now here's where we need to start believing the Bible. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It groweth up. 
I'm beginning to say that you can't stop it from growing. You, the world can be against you and it'll grow. Your family can be against you and it'll grow. The political system will be against you and yet it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. It starts out small, but it groweth up. It will grow. And it becometh greater than all. Greater than all. Can you say there's been growth? Can you look at your life and say that Jesus has become greater than all? If you can't say he's become greater than all, then surely you can make an assessment because you, surely you presume to know more about you than I do. Surely you can make an assessment, but there, it is like the tree that is fighting for the light. And there's a lot of competition. There's some things around it that's nipping at its heels. But it's growing, and you know it, and it's growing, and it's growing, and you know there's some resistance to other things, all kinds of stuff. Let, let's agree, all kinds of dumb stuff compared to the gospel. Silly stuff like money, like makeup, like cars, like social media, like football, like artists or musical musicians. All, there's competition, but can't you say? It's growing. It's growing. If, if the seed's been in the ground, according to you, for the past 20 years, and still yet, it's not becoming greater than all things. Because Jesus says, it groweth up. Then, then surely, uh, if you're sincere in your search for truth, if it's relevant to you, if not, that's a whole other problem. Because how do you know you know Him? Well, you keep His commandments. You walk in the light. You don't walk in darkness. And if you walk in the light, like the light shines on the seed, it'll come up and it'll grow. You don't love the world anymore, so what, where, there is you begin to grow. If you know Him, you don't love the world. If you know Him, you have the Holy One, the Anointed One lives in you. He is way more competitive and way more powerful than the influence of the world. John, 1 John chapter 3, you, how do you know you know Him? You stop living in constant habitual sin. And you also start, John 4, you start loving people and you love the brethren. And how do you know you pass from death into life? Because you love the brethren. And the love of God is shed abroad in your heart and you grow in faith. And even this is a commandment that we've received in Him that you believe on the name of the Son of God and that if you have Christ you have life and how do you know you have Christ you love his word you don't love the world you have the anointing of the Holy One which liveth in you you resist constant habitual continual sin what's happening to you Christ in you do you see it I pray to God you see it so some people say well Jesus just works in other people's lives, not other people. I would like to ask you, and I know some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. I understand that. We've all been given a measure of faith, and we minister according to that measure of faith. We love according to that measure of faith. But, however, there will still be some 30-fold. There will be fruit. There will be. When it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, shooteth out great branches 
This is the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. What shall we liken it to, Jesus said? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. It means that other creatures even benefit for what God is doing in your life. Other people benefit. So that means the kingdom of God is like this. It's not unnoticeable. It's not without growth. It produces shade. It becomes so, I'm closing, it becomes, it becomes, and it will, it becomes so big. It casts shade. You know what that means? It means nothing is higher than it for it to be shaded. It means it's taller, bigger, more influential. It's the one throwing shade. It's the one who's taller than all the rest. Now I know some Christians aren't there yet. I don't, I'm not there yet, I don't believe. But I know and I have confidence that he who began a good work in me will complete it. And I don't have to be the tallest mustard tree. That's, I don't have to be. I certainly don't claim to be. I'd be careful to claim if you were. But I can honestly say it. If I can't say it, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe. If I can't say it, I sure shouldn't be a pastor. I can say that Jesus Christ has changed my life. I can say that. I didn't say Josh has. Jesus Christ has changed my life. And you know what? He's not finished yet. And we grow and we grow and we grow. Let's stand to our feet. When it grows, it becomes greater than all herbs. Greater, greater. Let's do some inventory tonight. Let's really think about it. Let's put ourselves on the witness stand. The prosecutor is trying his case against us. He's bringing forth evidence to prove whether or not we know Christ, whether or not we're Christian. I wonder if you were on trial and they had a world-class prosecutor and he was trying, bringing forth evidence that you know Jesus. Could it be said of you like it was the apostles? We took notice these were unlearned and ignorant men, but they've been walking with Jesus. It ought to make a difference. He will make a difference. You know, that's why we say we want people to get saved. Do you know what we're saying? Here's what we're saying. We want them to know Jesus because Jesus will change their life. And Jesus will give them everlasting life. Jesus will forgive them their sins. Jesus will sober them up. I wonder when we say that, do we understand we are preaching this doctrine? We want people to get saved because we want Christ to save them, to change them, to to reform them, to regenerate them. We want them to know Jesus. Why? This is what we're saying. We want them to know Christ. Because if they know Christ, Christ will make all the difference, won't he? He'll make all the difference.